Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond, and welcome back to our special Pulse Check series on Politico's reporting on the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I'm in conversation with my friend and colleague, Jeremy Siegel. He hosts Politico's daily podcast, Dispatch, and we are looking at the Trump administration's efforts to ramp up testing specifically whether it will be enough to get the country on track to reopen, and whether a team overseen by Jared Kushner did a crash course on trying to ramp up the White House efforts over the past 50 days. You'll hear that conversation now. Dan Diamond, are you ready for one of my famous quarantine-induced escapist hypothetical fantasy situations? Jeremy, at this point of the quarantine, that's that's basically all that's getting me through it. <laughs> well, well, I know one thing that has been getting you through a lot is you've you've been running a lot these days, right? I have been. Have you seen me around town wearing my my headband uh, now that my locks are so long and flowing? <laughs> I haven't, but. That sounds simultaneously amazing and terrifying. <laughs> so so I want you to imagine that you've been running so much that you've gotten so good that you're Olympic caliber and, and you're in the Olympics. You're, you're in the middle of a race. Fans are screaming from the top of the stadium. Your coach is at the sideline yelling at you to go faster. And you're out in front. Um, you are winning this race, you see the finish line, it's in your sight, but waiting at the end of the finish line isn't just a gold medal. It isn't just everyone waiting there to congratulate you. It is the one thing that you've been aching to do for the past couple months while we've been stuck at home that you haven't been able to. What is it? Oh man, I... (laughs) Well, this is going to sound weird because I'll have been finishing a run but I really miss swimming. <laughs> Seriously? Swimming uh, helped keep me sane. It was the one place, even when I'm running, I've got my iPhone with me. And I. this has been happening for weeks. I'll, I'll try and go for a run. And I joke about it with my wife. I'll get interrupted three or four times by phone calls, urgent texts from sources, occasionally from editors. When you're swimming, that doesn't happen. And, and that was like the one place in the world that I would escape for. 45 minutes and I miss it so much. <laughs> no, I, I, I can see that. I, I miss swimming too. But to, to, to stick with our running metaphor here, in the race to reopen the country amid the coronavirus pandemic, one of the most important things is to ramp up testing. And you've done this big story tracing the Trump administration's efforts to do that. And to start here, I want to go back to March 13th. Beautiful day in the Rose Garden. Appreciate everybody being here today. That's the day President Trump makes this announcement for a new program for drive-through testing. Why did he do that? Because the situation was dire. There had only been a few thousand coronavirus tests conducted in the United States to that point. By one count, maybe only 5,000 tests or so. And the White House had finally realized what public health experts had been screaming about for weeks, which is the virus was spreading without any containment. President Trump had had really blown this off and not mobilized the country in a way that we needed to be prepared for the pandemic. South Korea, meanwhile, had done about 250,000 tests. And that comparison was, was even more stark when you look at the size of the population. 
the United States is a much, much bigger country than South Korea. So per capita, someone who lived in South Korea was something like 500 times more likely than someone in the United States to have been tested for coronavirus at that point. And that was the backdrop for leaders in the White House trying to decide what to do next. President Trump had called in Jared Kushner, not only a White House senior advisor, but his son-in-law, and detailed him to start working with the private sector to get the private sector really mobilized. Kushner quickly brought in his old friend, Adam Bowler, who's been on the Pulse Check podcast before. He was the head of the Medicare Innovation Center. He's been doing work on foreign investment for the past number of months. And the two of them hashed out a plan to ramp up drive-through testing because it was seen as effective, as as somewhat uh, easy, uh, the idea that people would stay in their cars and be able to be checked for coronavirus. It, it could reduce the risks. It was also a psychologically reassuring move after so many Americans saw video of South Koreans being able to get tested so easily, even as tests in America were so hard to come by. So America wants to move forward with this. Trump has made an announcement. But I mean, if middle school science fairs taught me anything, it's that announcing a project, your idea for it is obviously extremely different from doing it and doing it well. I mean, the White House is working on this. Jared Kushner is working on this. How did they try to make this drive through effort real? How did things work out in the weeks after the announcement? You know, I had not thought of it in the context of a middle school science fair before you use that framing, but there there <laughs> might be there might be more parallels than you think. I I think what the US clearly failed to do was have this kind of testing effort running weeks and weeks before with lots of preparation time, lots of coordination. Instead, it got crammed into a four or five day period after the president makes these remarks. So there had already been some efforts behind the scenes for the past day before the president stood in the Rose Garden and said the drive through tests were coming. But over the course of that weekend, a team, including Adam Bowler, uh, Brad Smith, the new Medicare innovation head, Brett Joie, who was tapped as the testing coordinator by HHS, and several dozens, if not a hundred different uh, folks from FEMA, HHS, contractors, others were working together to very quickly get this drive through testing operation out the door. It was chaotic, and there were local officials that I talked to who were on the receiving end of these new drive-through testing sites that were supposed to be set up and said the situation changed day by day. First, the White House said there would be, in Seattle, for instance, 10,000 tests coming for a drive-through testing site, and the U.S. federal government would handle staffing. That got ratcheted back over subsequent phone calls until eventually the Seattle folks got 4,000 tests. And uh, we're told that they had to staff the site themselves. So the local officials felt this was better than nothing. They were at least getting some help. But it wasn't the the plug-and-play effort that the president may have made it sound. And it certainly wasn't a national effort, which a lot of Americans were expecting. The president talked about having all of these different stores behind the effort all around the country. Well, in reality, there were only about half a dozen sites that immediately got set up with drive-through testing. And even over the course of the, the coming days and weeks, maybe 10 different states had had some drive-through testing operation uh, in effect. And, and these sites also were taking away resources that were potentially used for other testing projects. So things were slow to start 
Um, there was chaos in some areas, uh, fumbling of some resources. But more recently, the companies involved in this came back to the Rose Garden. Thank you, Mr. President, and thank you for all of you uh, for being here today. And, and what we'd like to talk about is the progress we made. Um, they came back on April 27th and said that things were working well. The last time we were here was March 13th, and we've made tremendous progress. And none of that what changed? Or, I mean, did, did anything change? It's a good question. There was a parade in the Rose Garden of different executives coming up and talking about what they were going to do on lab testing moving forward. And many of those executives had been involved. They even alluded to this in the efforts 45 days earlier on drive-through testing. So I reached out to some of those companies. And what those companies told me, what Walmart told me, what CVS told me, these companies that had offered up their parking lots or, or been involved in different ways for the drive-through testing project, they said, look, it, it was a learning experience. It, it was not the smoothest launch. But by doing that crash course 45 days ago, it taught us a lot in a hurry about what we would need to do to do more coronavirus testing moving forward. And then companies like Thermo Fisher, the lab testing company, that, that company had been talking to the White House for weeks about what sort of equipment was going to be available, what sort of diagnostic testing was coming online. And the way that these executives in the White House officials talked about it, it was a little surprising to me. But they said, if we had not had that crash course 45 days ago, we would not be ready to do the more thorough testing that is necessary now to get the economy potentially reopen as Americans go back to work. Over the past few days, there have been a number of reports on um, this work and specifically Jared Kushner's coronavirus team and their work on it. Um, you know, there have been stories from The New York Times, stories from The Washington Post. And those stories have been a bit more critical than what we saw in, in your reporting of the Trump administration's handling of this and the success of it. I mean, I'm curious, like from your reporting and comparing it to what we've seen from these other outlets, do you think this was a successful effort? And specifically, do you think Kushner's team and his role in it ultimately helped the response or, or hurt it? I think all the stories can be true. The Politico story was very focused on the arc of testing and how we went from a low number of tests to a significantly higher number of tests, and things appear to be on the right trajectory nationwide on testing. Whether we have enough, that's that's a different question. But the Kushner team did do a lot of good work on testing, is the consensus that I got. And one former Trump official who's been pretty critical of the initiative throughout in our conversations over the past few months, this person said to me, look, the administration, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the administration, if I had to grade the Trump administration, would be at a C now, a C grade. But before the Kushner team, the administration was at an F. And the Kushner team did a good job, not, not the whole job, but a good job in moving things forward, getting testing online, coordinating things with the private sector, stuff that should have been done months and months ago. This was a crash team that was fixing things. The New York Times and Post stories were more focused on a separate initiative on acquiring uh, personal protective equipment. And those stories were driven by a whistleblower complaint to the House Oversight Committee from one of the volunteers. This was a big effort. There were something like 100 to 300 different people working on it, depending on which time over the past 50 days we look at. Of those 
people working on the effort. Most were either government employees or some government contractors. My understanding is there were several dozen uh, volunteers from Wall Street, from firms like Flatiron Health, where there were connections already to Kushner and Adam Bowler. Now, this might not be the way that the coronavirus response should run. In fact, I would argue it should not have been the way that the coronavirus response should have run. But once the decision was made to deploy the Kushner team, I think it's fair to take a look at what did they actually accomplish versus what didn't they do. And there were things coming out of this team that were worth highlighting as steps forward. And I think the Politico story is critical too. If anyone reads into the piece, there's a lot of talk about the chaos throughout, even as people are working around the clock to get these things done. Kushner is not someone we hear from often, at least not publicly, but you got Kushner and a bunch of other top Trump appointees to talk to you on the record for this story. I mean, can you explain the process behind the scenes on that? Like, how do you get these people to 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 speak to you? How do you how do you get a story like this? My thinking on this story dates back to mid-March, when, again, things were pretty dire. We had virtually no testing. The president had spent weeks playing it down. And then I heard about this effort behind the scenes that Bowler, Kushner, others were working on asking people like Andy Slavitt, the Obama-era Medicare chief who had fixed the healthcare.gov website when, when it famously broke. They were reaching out to people like him. They were putting together a team of of folks who who really got stuff done. For instance, Brett Joie, the, the national testing coordinator. I've done some pretty tough reporting on, on Brett Joie over the years. He was involved in a separate initiative at HHS to limit access to fetal tissue research, which scientists were totally alarmed by. Um, at the same time, I knew that HHS thinks really highly of Brett Joie, that they think he's one of their top fixers and doers. So altogether, this team was supposed to be like the crash team getting things up and running in a hurry. And I wrote a story about that. And I've been thinking throughout this crisis, is the Kushner team actually delivering on what they said they would deliver? And and for many weeks, my assumption was no, that the drive-through testing was a failure, that the Kushner team was duplicating some of the work inside HHS, which I heard from some of my sources. But at the same time, as I reached out to people I want to say two or three weeks ago, I, I was assured that the testing numbers would would be going up, just wait and see. And I watched, and that was true, that the testing numbers are clearly on, on a trajectory that's headed in a good place. So I reached out again, and I said, look, I'd, I'd like to write about what you guys did. How did we get from low numbers to high numbers? Got some access, not not all the access I would like. But about a week ago, I reached out to Jared Kushner for comments, not expecting that he would say anything on the record. He almost never does. Until a few hours before the story published, uh, his team said, yes, you know, Jared would like to talk to you. So we had a conversation. I I think it was was Monday night. And the story went up uh, about midnight, uh, Monday going into Tuesday on our our pro website, and then about 5 a.m. For everyone to read. So it was really just a last minute connection with him. And I've been trying to figure out why he wanted to go on the record then. And I think it's more clear now uh, with the Times and Post stories coming out that were much more critical of his effort. It's dangerous for a reporter to ever assume motive for a source to talk to him. But I do think it's clear that the Kushner team thought they did good work and they wanted some of that work reflected on the record. They also were very upset 
by the probing into the volunteers, the, the two dozen or so volunteers. Obviously, not all volunteers thought that the initiative was a success. One of them issued a whistleblower complaint to the House Oversight Committee. But there was also a sense that the volunteers were just trying to serve their country, that it was a crisis moment. People volunteered and worked these long shifts thrown into the, the front lines of the coronavirus response. And Kushner, Adam Bowler, some of the others said they really regretted that those people had then had their resumes uh, really dug through when it wasn't obvious that they were doing anything illegal or unethical. What was Jared Kushner like? I mean, I know for a period when nobody had really seen him speak, you know, there was this long running joke about what even his voice sounded like. But I mean, you you talk to him. What's he like? It's always interesting to get someone on the phone who's in the middle of the news story, whether that's Jared Kushner, Secretary Alex Azar, some of these other major figures who have a very different perspective on what the world uh, sees about what their work is versus what they say the work is. And a lot of that conversation didn't make its way into the story. But I will say that Kushner was insistent that the team he was working on was not a shadow task force that he, he was very complimentary of Mike Pence, who is leading the overall coronavirus effort. He said, look, I'm on that task force officially. This was just a team dedicated to working on innovation efforts. Uh, the, the role of the team has been wildly overplayed. And I, I do think there's some truth to, if you stick the name Jared Kushner on an initiative, there, there is an element of intrigue and curiosity than if we had just said Adam Bowler is leading this initiative, or Brett Joie, which is basically true. I mean, Bowler and Joie were the functional leaders of a lot of what happened over the past number of weeks. Brad Smith, too, this operations manager that nobody had ever heard of. I, I may have been his first interview uh, since he came to the Trump administration a couple months ago. But because Kushner assembled the team and gave them muscle and protected what they were doing, that, that has led to a lot of intrigue and probes. Now, I will say it's my job as a reporter to do those probes. And if there was wrongdoing on that team, I, I want to uncover that. And I pushed Kushner on a few things that didn't go into the story, but potentially could be future stories for us. But what was most interesting was to talk to someone who sees his work, his role portrayed in so many different ways in the media. And then, of course, to hear his version of the story, which is a very different perspective. Mm. So at this point, we're nearly two months after Trump's Rose Garden announcement of this drive-through testing. The White House is now pushing economies to reopen. Um, but, you know, as, as we mentioned, a big part of safely reopening is having adequate testing. Where are we with testing? Is the U.S. really in good enough shape here? We're clearly in a better spot. We are not in a good enough spot Uh I believe, based on what public health experts have told me. The team that Kushner assembled is trying to get supplies into the market. So there will be at least 8 million tests conducted in the month of May. For context, that's a big jump. I mean, for three months, January, end of January through end of April, there were only 6 million or so tests conducted total. So more tests in the month of May than the three months leading up to May. That said, the expectation is there will be enough tests. So the number of people getting tested is overwhelmingly like 90%, 95%, if not higher, people who don't have COVID-19. What that means is the testing is being done so broadly that it's not just people who are showing up with symptoms and, and the sick, which suggests that there are a lot of people not getting tested. 
when when the president says the U.S. has moved ahead on this and that we're the best in the world, no one's done more tests, in many ways he's right. Total tests, the, the U.S. is now in front. And on a per capita basis, the U.S. is doing much better too. I mentioned earlier the comparison with South Korea. South Korea was kicking our butt in terms of how many people in the country got tested. Now the U.S. is about twice the level of per capita testing in South Korea. So we've moved very far in a short amount of time. The issue is we should have done this stuff months ago to be ready for the crisis. And I think what is really the metric to watch beyond the total number of tests is this positivity rate. What percentage of tests are coming back positive? Just a few weeks ago, the level was about 20%, if not higher. It has now fallen to about 10% and continues to be on a trajectory of falling. If public health measures, if quarantines and social distancing continue, what that means is we've likely got a better chance of controlling the virus because people will have a harder time spreading it. And the testing should reveal that falling rate of people who are actually showing up sick. But if we are all going back out and spreading the virus once again, public health experts are really worried about the positivity rate of these tests jumping back up, suggesting that we don't have this problem under control, regardless of what the president wants us to think. All right, that's our show for this week. I'm Dan Diamond. My thanks to Dispatch host Jeremy Siegel for joining me. Our producers are Annie Reese and Jeremy Siegel. Jenny Ament is our senior producer, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. Subscribe to Politico Pulse Check wherever you're listening. And you can help us by leaving a rating or review that helps new listeners find the show. Just search for Politico Pulse Check and remember to click the button to subscribe. You can follow Politico's coverage of the coronavirus in our Politico Nightly newsletter and in Politico Pulse. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back with you again next week.